0: So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word.
1: Sometimes living peaceably with a person in relationship with them simply isn't possible, not because of you, but because the offender is not willing to be reconciled. Even when they say they are, their actions might indicate otherwise. And by the way, here it is not wrong for you to make a judgment about the fruit being evidenced In someone's life. The Lord isn't asking you to be in a reconciled relationship with those you've forgiven but who are still unrepentant of what they've done and who by their actions reveal that they've not personally embraced the forgiveness that you've given them. God doesn't do that with us. He didn't hang on the cross and give everybody a, a universal, you know, salvation and relationship with him. He didn't do that. He hung on the cross, and he already forgave on the cross, but that doesn't fix things in our lives in the separation that we have from him until we're willing to receive that forgiveness and until we're willing to repent of our sins so that he can begin that work of reconciliation in us, you see. Well, he expects us to always forgive others. Reconciliation is his desired goal for us with others, if possible, if possible. If possible. And might I add one more thing to this? Reconciliation is not, let me say clearly, it is not the responsibility of the offended person who has granted forgiveness, but it's the responsibility of the one who is perceived to have offended. Know carefully what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. Matthew 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, doesn't say you have against them, against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift hear clearly what jesus is saying here it's not up to the offended person to seek reconciliation it's up to you the offender or the one perceived to be the offender and i understand sometimes there's misperceptions part of that reconciliation process can be the working out of that but it's up to you the offender to go and to seek it and until you're willing to do that you may as well leave your gift that you're bringing to the altar in worship of god because your heart is not right before him jesus says well, if you think about what I'm saying to, this, to you this morning and what the Scripture is teaching about this, you will find a key. I believe very firmly you'll find a key that will unlock the door to the prison many of you are in, not because others have put you in that prison, because you have put yourself there by putting them in a prison of your own heart, by refusal to forgive them for the offenses that they've committed against you. Forgiveness is expected in the Scriptures reconciliation is a goal to be worked towards when possible. Well, look on it. Luke uh, chapter 6 and verse 38. Jesus goes on. He says, given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is a a metaphor common to the commercial marketplace of Luke's day. Given it will be given to you. The idea is that fairness and kindness shown in your dealings with others will result in fairness and kindness received. It's a mutual exchange process. And when he says good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom, the background to that image that Jesus is using here is of being pressed down, shaken together, running over, has the idea of pouring out grain for measure in the marketplace. One would often pour the grain into a container, or sometimes into a, a, a cloth apron that the person would wear to come and get it. And then what they would do is they'd either shake that container or that, 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 that cloth apron. They'd shake it to level out the grain. And what would happen is the grain would sink down. It would level off. You, you know how that is. You shake it. You get it to go down a little bit. And then what they would do is they would pour in more to fill up the can- container. And the idea is they wouldn't only fill it to the top, but they'd fill it to the fullest capacity, even overflowing the container itself. The idea being that those who are generous have generosity running over for them in the same way. I have a favorite restaurant I go to, and I keep going back there because I love steak fajitas. I'm a Mexican food eater. And some days, man, they just fill up my my little takeout order to overflowing with this stuff. I know it's far more, in particular since this time of, you know, COVID shutdown, you'd think they'd be skimping, but they don't. They just seem to be putting more in there, and it keeps me going back to get more, right? And that's how it works, and that's the idea Jesus has in mind. If we're generous with others, they're going to be generous in return. So for with the same measure, he says, that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this sums up the core principle that Jesus has communicated in this entire passage. God will measure back to us according to the same measure we give to others, whether it be forgiveness or whether it be judgment or whether it be condemnation or whether it be love. What we dish out, God will dish back to us in kind. Now, none of this is meant to destroy the biblical truth of justification by faith. Please understand that. It doesn't mean that if you wrongly judge someone or condemn them that God will judge or condemn you in the sense of taking away your salvation, but in practical ways in our lives, we can find ourselves suffering under a form of judgment and condemnation that impacts our walk and relationship with him, just as we have talked about when we started the teaching here this morning. It's the same principle that Peter brings out in regard to husbands mistreating their wives and the impact that that has on their own relationship with the Lord, right? He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weak vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Wrong treatment of others, in this case a spouse, can hinder things spiritually in our lives. And that's Jesus' point. That's Jesus' point. His whole intent here isn't to pose a standard by which we maintain salvation, but he's emphasizing the appropriate attitude and lifestyle that we're to live as believers, freely forgiving, freely loving, freely letting go of offense, choosing not to wrongly judge or condemn so that we who have been freely forgiven, freely released from judgment and condemnation can fully enjoy that forgiveness and that freedom in an unhindered way in our own lives and relationship with the Lord. If you want to enjoy the abundance of all that God has, has for you in your relationship with him, enjoying in the fullest measure possible all that he has done for you and given to you, then this is the key. Then this is the key. So often in Christianity, we hear the expression, you can't outgive God. And most times we hear it in the context of material giving. But the greater application is right here. As Jesus is asking you and me to be willing to release people from the debts we hold them in in our own hearts debts that we store up and which manifest in unforgiveness and judgment and condemnation and bitterness but instead of storing these things up if we'd simply give instead <laughs> give, give what's not deserved give what's not deserved give better things to people than they're given to us giving love beyond what's expected or required or even what might to the world's point of view or to ours be reasonable what we will find is that we, as we do that is that we cannot outgive god in these things He'll pour back into our lives a measure of these things to the point of overflowing because of our willingness to do this for others. Given it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom by God himself. Sadly, too many Christians don't understand this, and as a result, they're depriving themselves of an abundance from God through their unwillingness to give these things to others. I personally learned a long time ago to grant forgiveness to people even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't deserve it, even when they've offended me. I've learned to set them free from the prison cell of my own heart, even when they deserve to be locked up in that cell, even if they deserve to be executed in my heart. I've learned to swallow my rights my pride and to simply turn the other cheek and let them slap me or take me take take from me things that are really not theirs to take i've learned to do this not because i'm a great guy or because i have a different temperament than others but simply because i've learned the reality that there is so much more to be gained from the lord as i do this than there is not to do it the lord will repay you but what that repayment involves depends very much upon the choices that you make in regard to others it's that simple for with the same measure that you use it will be measured back to you Hmm. well look on at verse 39 and he spoke a parable to them can the blind lead the blind will they not both fall into the ditch a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher Jesus starts a parable here that at first might seem to be changing the direction of his discussion, but it's still all related. He begins with a twofold question with obvious answers. Can the blind lead the blind? In other words, can the blind effectively lead the blind? Well, the obvious answer is, of course not. Well, then not both fall into the ditch? Well, the obvious answer is, of course they will. In verse 40, he sums this up, the idea posed by these two questions and, and, and obvious answers by basically saying that a disciple who becomes like his or her teacher whom they follow, that's what's going to happen. Blind, the blind, blind, you're going to be blind. In other words, if the teacher they're following is blind, they themselves will be blind and both will fall into the ditch together. So what's Jesus's point and how does it relate to what we're talking about here? Well, he's still challenging them about the way that they think in regard to the topic that he's talking about and and confronting them about, making a choice as to who it is that they're going to follow in regard to their thinking about it all, on forgiveness, on how they treat their enemies, on condemning people, on judging people. He's saying, choose who you're going to follow. The blind who would tell you to condemn, to judge in the wrong way, who would tell you not to treat your enemies with compassion. You're going to follow the blind, or are you going to follow the one who sees? You know, they've long been taught by the religious teachers of Israel that personal vengeance, that personal retribution, that unforgiveness was justifiable at times. And these spiritual teachers who who they followed had twisted and distorted God's Word to make it say things that God never said, but which fit their own blind ideas about things. Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, where'd they hear it? From the blind teachers, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, ah, the one who sees, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. See, Jesus is saying that the spiritual teachers that they've been following were nothing more than spiritually blind guides, people who were leading others into the blindness with them and into the pit. This is the characterization that Jesus will clearly give to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and to the scribes and to others like them of his day. Matthew 23 and verse 16. Matthew 23 and verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say, say whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. We're not going to talk about all that. Just the point here, blind guides. He makes no bones. These are the blind ones. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, he reiterates this. Matthew 23, uh, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a net and swallow a camel. These were the men who were the spiritual teachers who people looked up to for spiritual guidance and authority for their lives and whom they were following. And as a result, they were ending up as blind as they were as Paul will later characterize the unbelieving Jews at large who refused to see. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17 through verse 24. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Indeed, you are called the Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident, now listen, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. A light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, teach another. Do you not teach yourself? You preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. Paul is simply reflecting the truth that Jesus is making here in this statement. The truth of where following the spiritually blind leads to greater blindness for everyone until they all fall into the ditch together. And now Jesus, here he is, Jesus, the one who, who clears, sees so clearly is laying a choice before them and he's laying it before us today. And he's saying, choose, Choose to follow the blind because that's what you've always been taught, or choose to think for yourself and to follow the truth of God rather than the teachings of men, which are nothing more than a counterfeit of God's truth. These blind guides say, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Follow them in that line of thinking if you want, but you'll be following the blind right into the abyss of wrong spiritual thinking and understanding that will lead you into deeper and darker spiritual thinking because God never said that anywhere in his word. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But I say to you, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure they, you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying, so make your choice as to whose word and guidance you're going to follow. If you want to follow the blind, be at it. But you'll be the blind following the blind. Or follow the one who sees so clearly, even though what he's asking you to do is foreign to your thinking, foreign to the way you've been taught, foreign to what others say you should do, foreign to what society thinks. Follow the blind or follow the one who sees clearly. That's the choice. Folks, this is such a good word for us today. It really is. Not just on this issue, yet especially on this issue, but on lots of spiritual issues. So many voices telling you what God thinks, what God wants, what God expects, which have little or no foundation to anything that God has ever said in his word. Oh, like the religious teachers of Jesus' day, they quote scriptures at you, justifying their teaching through the use of scripture, but it's taken out of context. It's cherry-picked to make a point, their point, not God's point. Scripture is nothing more than a tool that they use to promote their own ideas and self developed, fleshy, blind teachings rather than simply being the tools that God uses to convey what He has actually said in His Word. And sadly, what I'm finding even today is that more and more of the best teachers that we listen to are now doing this. But Jesus is saying to you, Who will you choose to follow? Do you even recognize the blind from those who see? Are are you so blinded by your own spiritual ideas or your biblical ignorance that you no longer have an ability or, or even a desire to see clearly? Folks, the choice is ours. It's blindness or clarity. It's not even so much about the blindness of the people who lead us as much as it is about our own blindness that Jesus is getting at here. You know, I chose a long time ago that I wanted to see clearly. I want to know what God says, not what men say. It's why I've given myself over to the form of teacher that I'm presently doing here. What you're watching this morning, this line by line, verse by verse, through the Scriptures, simply looking at what the Scriptures are saying. Teaching which requires looking at the passage in its full context and and pushes away from topical teaching alone, which can twist and distort what's being said. It's why I decided a long time ago not to accept or, or to simply regurgitate the positions of other teachers or pastors that I even respect. It's, it's not wrong to use those things at times, but, but it has to begin with questioning. It has to begin with questioning everything and to search it out as best I can for myself. I value the Bereans who, as Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 tells us, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. If you don't know who the Bereans were, go back and read chapter 17. But Paul shows up there. He preaches to them. They give him more attention than the Thessalonians who drove him out of town over his teaching. These guys, it says they received him with all readiness. In other words, they were gracious in receiving what he had to say. But you know what they then did? They went back and they confirmed it. They looked in the Scriptures for themselves. They questioned it. Is this true? It's it's not that we must doubt everything that we've been taught. But it's that we should never stop evaluating what we're hearing or or being taught against the scriptures themselves, which we diligently search out for ourselves. Far too much stuff we believe is based upon something that someone has told us, rather than a conviction that we hold because we've searched it out for ourselves. Things that we've personally concluded to be what God has actually said and not what we've heard that he has said from others. Folks, Jesus is still speaking to us. He's still speaking to you. Just like he spoke to these crowds, he's taking his word and he's speaking directly to us through his Holy Spirit who dwells in each and every one of us as believers. This is why as a pastor and a teaching of God's word, I have long said that I am blessed to be used of God to help instruct you in his word, but that ultimately you, you, have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in you that I, as a teacher of God's Word, have dwelling in me. And there isn't a week that goes by that you should not be coming in here dependent upon the Holy Spirit as your teacher rather than coming and being dependent upon me. There shouldn't be a message that's preached that you then don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit confirming or refuting what it is that I've said to you. There should not be a teaching that I give that you should not go and with with fair-mindedness, like the Bereans, investigate against the Scriptures yourself to see if it is so. This is what will ultimately keep you from being blind. And this is what we need more of in Christianity today, especially today. I hope you guys know that it is okay for you to disagree with a pastor or a teacher. It is okay for you to do that. Disagreement means that we're searching things out and wrestling through things for ourselves in order to prevent falling into a ditch together. Remember, iron sharpens iron, the scriptures say. And yet when iron is being sharpened, sometimes the sparks will fly. And so here Jesus is just challenging them and he's challenging us. Who are you going to follow? What are you going to listen to? And so to a people who had been taught that the word of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the rabbis were not to be questioned, they ended up as nothing more than the blind following the blind right into the pit of incorrect spiritual thinking. And Jesus is saying to them, it's time to choose who you will follow and whose words you will believe, errant men or God's. And when it comes to the issue at hand, God's word was very different than the word of these men they had been following. You've heard it said. But I say to you, that contrast, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Personally, I'm more interested in hearing and responding to what Jesus, the living son of God, the living God in the flesh, God himself, the one who wrote this book, (laughs) has to say to me on this and every topic. And I hope you feel the same way. And so it is Jesus who will now return to the topic at hand, the topic of judging one another, which is all connected to how we treat and respond to others, even those who've wronged us and, and those that we simply dislike at times, because he goes on in verse 41 and he says this, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrites, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. And I'll tell you what, this is going to take us a little bit to get through this, and so I'm going to break right here today. I hate to do that, but we'll come back to this next week and finish this up and move on in our teaching and our study of this passage.